Hello, and welcome to episode 141 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. First off, a warm welcome to Daryl M. to the Modern Manager community. And second, thank you to everyone who has pre-registered for my upcoming intensive program. I so appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts on the content and the format so that I can be sure to design a program that meets your needs. I will be sharing more about how that program is shaping up in the coming weeks, but for now, I am excited to share a new program, The Modern Manager's Guide to Managing by Personality. This live three-part interactive webinar series is all about understanding personality type, your own preferences, and those of your colleagues, so that you can stop feeling frustrated and start managing people in ways that work for them. This course is in partnership with Type Coach, which means you get access to their incredible online tools for free as part of your registration, and you get to work with me to develop your skills to use personality type to become a more effective manager. If you want a sneak peek of what I'm talking about, you can scroll way back in the Modern Manager feed to episode 14, Personality and Preference with Rob Toomey. You can learn more about the course at themodernmanager.com courses personality. Now, today's guest is Brandon Smith. Brandon is a leading expert in leadership communication and curer of workplace dysfunction. Known as the Workplace Therapist, Brandon is a sought-after executive coach, TEDx speaker, author, and award-winning business school instructor. He has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, CNN, FoxNews.com, NPR, Forbes, and many others for his expertise. His book, The Hot Sauce Principle, How to Live and Lead in a World Where Everything is Urgent All of the Time, helps readers to master urgency so they can more effectively lead others, manage others' unrealistic expectations, and prevent burnout at home. Brandon and I talk about his book, about how to use urgency in the right ways, the interplay between urgency and trust, boundary setting, how to talk to your boss and your team members about when there's just too much to get done and not enough time, plus a whole lot more. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. It is such a pleasure to have you today, Brandon. I have to start with the hot sauce thing because I think your book has the best title of any book I've ever seen on business. <laughs> Thank you, Mamie. I really appreciate that. <laughs> so let's jump right in and talk about this hot sauce concept because it's an interesting metaphor and I think people will really dig it. Yeah, I think it speaks to the world we're in. So, so you mentioned the title of the book and the whole title is The Hot Sauce Principle, How to Live and Lead in a World Where Everything is Urgent All the Time. I mean, who can't relate to that? My experience has been, doesn't matter where the manager is on the planet, she or he's probably dealing with two big factors who, that are at play. One, time is our most precious resource. It's not money, it's time. And two, everything is urgent all the time. And so that, that defaults us into this like firefighter mode every day where we're just constantly putting out fires. And that you know, really, really takes a toll. And so the analogy really is urgency is hot sauce. And just like hot sauce, in little doses, it's actually a really good thing. You know, little doses of hot sauce, you know, makes, adds a little more flavor, creates a little more focus, helps us prioritize. But if everything that is coming out of the kitchen is doused in hot sauce, you know, the appetizer's covered in hot sauce, the entree, the salad, the brownie at the end, the iced tea, it's, you know, we're going to be 
overwhelmed and, you know, curled up in a ball looking for relief. So it's all about how do you, as a manager, not only manage the amount of hot sauce you're giving your team, but also manage the amount of hot sauce that your manager is giving to you. So we have the right amount of focus. So I, I completely resonate with this idea that everything is urgent and time is so valuable. And like, how do we just get more done and get more efficient and like get everything checked off these lists? And it's exhausting, right? Like, I feel like that at the end of the day, like the sense of urgency that we're all experiencing at work is just growing and growing and growing. And it's exhausting. Is everybody experiencing this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so what happens is when everything is urgent, it will result in first exhaustion and then ultimately burnout. I mean, that's where this is going. So just like our tongues would be on fire, we are, we are physically burned out and we can't, we can't function going forward. And, and that's one of the real reasons why from a health standpoint, both mental and physical health and emotional health, we really need to be aware of this, how much hot sauce we're putting on our teams, but also how much hot sauce we're allowing others to put on us. So my, part of my training is as a clinical therapist before I moved into the corporate world. And so any, any therapist is going to tell you, gosh, you know, the, the foundation of any healthy relationship is boundaries. And so part of managing hot sauce is really about managing boundaries, proper boundaries. So I want to take a step backwards in time for a second, because my experience in work in the workforce has only been since Google existed as a collaborative platform. So even I, though, at you know, I'm in my late 30s. Even I feel like there was a time before where it wasn't this bad. And I can't tell if that's just like me looking back with rosy glasses or if that's like, oh, it was a time when I was young and I had more energy and I didn't have kids. Or if there has actually been a change over the past few decades where there is a growing sense of urgency, a growing sense of being connected, a growing thing of us all being on all the time. You're not wrong. What you're feeling is exactly right. Uh, now, so we're going to talk a little bit about kind of pre-COVID because this has created a whole other sense of urgency. So as we're talking right now, we're still in the middle of kind of COVID world. If we go back before that, the shift happened in a couple, for a couple of reasons. First, the first thing that really did it was phones, iPhone, any other kind of a mobile device that allowed us to do work anywhere because it also allows us to do work anytime. So the phone broke the umbilical cord and it, it broke boundaries. So it really was the beginning of work-life balance downfall. So now my boss can text me. She can text me. He can text me anytime uh, with what they want me to do. And, and, and I can't make up any excuse like, oh, well, that's in the office. I'll get to it tomorrow morning. They expect it to be done in any hour. So that was the first event. The second big event was that 2008, 2009 recession that we went through. Um, that fundamentally changed most businesses, particularly large ones, because they all, after that, cut all the way down to the bone to really keep expenses down and got themselves very, very lean. So you had people doing one and a half people's jobs. So loaded on extra work on the people with kind of the expect expectation that you should be happy that you have a job. And so even as we move forward, you know, beyond that time, even when the economy got better, companies were so burned by that recession, they were very reluctant to add on more headcount. So they kept the, the, their businesses really, really lean. And there's been, the final thing is there's been additional pressure to accelerate and make changes as technology has disrupted a bunch of industries. You think about like 
luxury retail, for example. You know, I, when I've worked with luxury retail clients, they say, gosh, we used to be merchants and we loved our, you know, putting out these great clothes and, and, and these great products. And now people can buy online. So we've had to change our, our business model and create omni-channel so people can buy stuff online, but also go into the stores. And we have to do it really fast. So you've got three factors here. You've got phones, you got the recession of 2008, 2009, and then just the speed of transformation that businesses have had, had to go through. All those factors have created a lot of intensity for us that are kind of living in it every day. So going back to where you started with this idea of boundaries, I completely see how our boundaries have been destroyed <laughs> because of technology. And the boundaries kind of in the marketplace have been really blurred between kind of what happens where, right? As you're saying, like, Things are now omnichannel and we expect everything to be delivered in two days or if not less. And just this speed of making things happen, the boundary between work and home and life and all of that is just a giant mess right now. So big question, what do we do about that? <laughs> That's a really big question. It's probably the, the million dollar, if not billion dollar question today. So even if we take working virtually and throw that into the mix too, because I think that's important for us to address. So when people started working virtually who weren't used to that and kind of working home because of quarantine and, and all those other events, the first thing that happened was people said, oh my gosh, it's amazing. I just got back at least an hour to two hours of my day because I'm not commuting. Not on a train commuting to work. I'm not on a car commuting to work. I'm home. It's great. I get more free time. And then what happened was everyone realized everyone wasn't commuting. So meetings starting, started to get scheduled at 7.30, 8 in the morning or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. That became more routine. And we see even more of a bleed in our work life. People are stuck in front of their cameras all day long, all the way into the evening. So it's affecting us in lots of ways even today. So the way that we want to approach it, let's talk about it from the manager's perspective. So one of the things that's really important as a manager is important to understand that just like a parent, you're going to set the expectations. Your folks are going to do what you model. They're going to do what you do, not what you say. So here's a big managerial no-no. You would never want to say to your team, well, I'm going to send you emails at like one and two in the morning because that's when I work best, but just ignore them. You can just respond to them when, when the work hours are, are normal. Don't do that. Because they will, you're sending the cue that you should be aware of emails coming in at one and two in the morning. So be really intentional about when you're sending emails. So I'll tell you something that I started doing this, this year that work has worked amazingly well, surprisingly well. I never send an email after five o'clock on Friday and before 8 a.m. on Monday. I don't send one. Now, I do a lot of work. And there's a lot of different, whether you're using Microsoft Outlook or you're using other tools and technology for your email platform, most of them have a function where you can schedule your emails. So I, I write all my emails, but I schedule them to go out on Monday morning at 8.30. And what that did for me was two things. First, it allowed me to create healthy boundaries for all the people that I'm going to be sending emails to. I'm not interrupting their weekends. I'm respecting that time so they can rest. But second, here was the thing I didn't expect. I avoided email tennis because normally when you send an email on the weekend, inevitably someone's also online and they send an email back into your court and then you hit it back into their court and they hit it back into your court and now you're spending two hours going back and forth on email tennis. And early in my career, I thought to myself, oh, look at me, I'm working on the weekend. I'm so diligent and hardworking and everyone's going to notice. 
Now I look at myself and I say, that's silly. What am I doing working on the weekend? I shouldn't be doing that. So when I started scheduling emails, I wasn't getting that disruption of email tennis on the weekend and I got more things accomplished. So a simple tool that all managers can do is just be really conscious of not sending emails after hours. Many companies, particularly consulting firms, have created that as a rule. A lot of consulting firms have, have told their clients and told all their employees, you are not to send any emails or respond to any emails after five o'clock on Friday and not before 9 a.m. on Monday because they want their team to be able to recharge because of how intense the work week is. So that would be one simple, simple trick and tool that you can use right away. I love that. And I do the exact same thing. And it is so amazing. And the notion of this email ping pong it resonates so much with me. And I keep thinking like when I see this starting to happen for myself, that like email is not a phone call. There, like the idea of responding quickly to an email, just it doesn't need to happen. That like that's not what email is for. And so it's okay if an email sits for a few hours or even a few days. I don't know if you have a rule of thumb about how long you'll let an email sit in your inbox. Oh yeah, this is a good question. So I will tell you that this will go into an, another question, another topic I'd like to talk about is how we build trust both with our, with our team, but also our manager. It's gonna be really important because particularly if we're gonna push back on our manager on the amount of hot sauce that she's putting on us, we've gotta make sure we built trust first. But part of trust is credibility. And one of the ways we build credibility is responsiveness. So this is this interesting irony, maybe, that you're mentioning is because we get trust by being super responsive. We get credibility by being super responsive. We say, oh my gosh, every time I want something from them, they're always available for me. And the opposite is true too. You send an email to somebody and you don't hear from them for four or five days. We don't think good things. One of the big communication principles I teach is in absence of communication, people almost always assume the worst. So when we're not hearing from somebody, we don't say, oh, I'm sure she's working on that really hard. We say to ourselves, oh, she's overwhelmed or she's ignoring me or, you know, uh, some other horrible thing that we, that we think of. So I have a good friend of mine. His name's John Kim. Um, he teaches at Emory University in the business school, and he's got this great saying. He says, responsiveness is cheap currency. And what he means by that is it's the quickest way to build credibility fast. But I want to clarify something that John is saying. He's not saying you got to respond with the perfect answer. Because if you're like me, that kind of winds you around the axle. I get thinking about the perfect answer, and I think that's going to take me a long time to write that, and it sits in my inbox for days. He says, just respond quickly, like, I got it, I'll go back to you Monday, or I got it when you need this buy. And just by a simple response like that, it can let people know you got it, you get credibility points, but it also doesn't take a lot of time. So my rule of thumb around it is I try and be responsive within about four, 24 hours or to most email if I can. But I do it in that quick hit kind of way, if I can, trying to kind of show them that I'm listening and I'm, I'm aware, but not trying to overwork it. And I don't do that on the weekends. So I'll, I'll respond, but then of course, I'm scheduling it for Monday morning. So that's my general rule of thumb and I find it works really well. I, this is great. I love this. Okay. So you were just talking about trust and I'm curious about this relationship between trust and urgency, if there is one. Yeah. So, okay. If we're managing urgency, so let's talk about urgency. Urgency is essentially when you're putting urgency onto somebody, as a client of mine told me years ago, she was a general manager for one of these luxury retail stores I told you about. She said to me, I know I need to light a fire in my people, which is inspiration, but sometimes I need to light a fire under them too, which is urgency. So urgency is really creating intentional discomfort for people to get them to move faster or move in a different way. 
So it's important we recognize that because when we're creating urgency, we're, we're intentionally creating discomfort. Or another word we could use, if I put my therapist hat on, is we're intentionally creating anxiety, which is a, probably a good way to think about urgency and hot sauce. It is anxiety. And, and putting anxiety in the right doses can, can be a good thing. But just as we all know, too much anxiety is just going to really burn people up. So we have to have trust in order to do that to somebody. Because when we create that discomfort, they're going to ask themselves, do I trust her or him enough to allow them to make me feel this way? If the answer is yes, we can move ahead. If the answer is no, we are dead in the water. So trust is a foundational piece we have to start with if either we want to put urgency into our team or we want to push back on the urgency that our leader's putting on us. You know, it's, this is making me think about a product I'm working on right now where there are some deadlines that, to be honest, just feel a little bit arbitrary. And as they are nearing and this sense of urgency to hurry, hurry, hurry and get everything done by the deadline, while I completely respect the people who set the deadlines and who I'm working with, it does kind of feel like, why? Like, why are we rushing so hard? And I don't understand what is driving this need to have this urgency. And I completely get that, like, there is this level of trust. I'm like, I don't really trust that these people like had anything in mind when we set this deadline. Yeah. And you need to have enough trust in, in the bank account in order to push back on them. If it was the first conversation you were having with them and, you know, uh, they were a client of yours or your leader or whatever it happened to be, you couldn't say, mm, I'm pushing back on this. You know, that you would need to sh- show them some level of credibility So you could start to then say, well, tell me a little more about that deadline. Maybe we need to move that. So I think trust is important in all sides of that equation. So first, how do you talk to your manager or your boss about your feeling of anxiety about all of the the many urgent priorities that you've been handed that you just can't, you can't get them all done the way that needs to be done in the timeline with the right amount of breaks. And then let's then talk about How do you talk to your team and get them to feel good about sharing with you when they feel like things are are overwhelming? Okay. I'm going to take on both these questions, but I I want to first share my trust formula with you first. That's okay. Yes, please. Because that's going to help set the foundation for how and when we do both of them. Because there's a timing element around these, which is really important. If you do them at the wrong timing, it's not going to go the way you want it to. So this is a trust formula I created a little over 10 years ago when I was teaching at a business school. And it was all about how do you take trust and turn it into a mathematical equation? So I want you to visualize this in your minds. Trust is, so trust equals, and then we'll start with in parentheses. So we got some little math going on here. Authenticity plus vulnerability. And that's in parentheses. So trust is, uh, trust equals authenticity plus vulnerability in parentheses, multiplied times credibility. That gets us trust. And the reason why I put the multiplication symbol in the middle is because if either side of that equation, credibility or the authenticity plus vulnerability, if either side of that goes to zero, trust goes to zero, which makes total sense to us. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, And the good news about this is for us as managers, we don't have to be perfect on all all those three kind of uh, variables. You just can't go to zero. You go to zero on on those, you, you have problems. So let's start with kind of upward. I think that was the angle you wanted to take first. So let's talk about how do we push back on our our leader. So it's important first that we put enough credibility into the bank account. We have to start with credibility to work our way into the authentic or vulnerable conversation, which is 
hey, uh, Mr. Or Mr. Leader, I- I'm not going to be able to make this deadline or I don't think this is going to work. That's kind of an authentic or, or, or a vulnerable place to be. So we got to make sure we build enough credibility in there. So we do credibility, like we put that in the bank account by being super responsive, being consistent in our actions, being reliable, always meeting and, meeting and exceeding on every expectation. So if you have a new leader, my recommendation, I actually prescribe you do six months on doubling down on, on credibility. And then you work your way into the authenticity, the vulnerability side of, of the equation. And we call that almost the shift to becoming a trusted advisor. And that's an important kind of, kind of distinction. So that's my first tip is you want to make sure you've built enough in the bank account to be able to have that. You've, you've delivered enough so they see you as super credible and trustworthy. Here's the second important tip around this before we get into the actual conversation and how we have it. From now on, every person listening to this, I don't want you to think about your direct leader, your direct manager, as your direct manager or leader anymore. I want you to think about them as your number one customer because they are. They can choose to renew your contract or end your contract. And when we think about them as a customer, it changes how we manage them. Because now our customer has just changed the scope of our working relationship or the scope of our work. So we need to make sure we have some healthy uh, managing expectations conversations with our customer. So with that in mind, this is how I recommend you have the conversation with your leader. Your leaders told you that all these things are urgent. There's no way you and your team can get them all done. The first step would be to try and get your leader to prioritize the items that they've just given you. You go back to them and you say, I totally understand that you want all these things done. I completely appreciate that. Unfortunately, given the resource constraints that we have, uh, we're not going to be able to do all of them at the same time. So help me understand the priority of these. Which one of these matter most that we need to start on first? So force them to prioritize. That's the first step. The other option would be to say, listen, if you still want all these things done, all right now, we can absolutely get this done we're going to need some more resources. So where can I go or we go to get the additional resource help that will allow us to get this done? So you essentially either force them to prioritize or provide you more resources. Those are two really healthy conversations to have around that to kind of get them to engage it in a more uh, productive way versus just saying, it's all got hot sauce on it. This is great. And, and I like that you're kind of giving options and saying this can be doable if X, Y, Z. And this can't be doable under certain circumstances. So let's figure out a way to deliver excellence or the quality that we want at the level, you know, on the right priorities. And I'd also add that I've definitely had conversations with people that said, can we pull back scope on some of these things? So can we say this, can we shrink some of them? So we're not necessarily doing less, but we're not doing them to the same extent, which I guess is kind of another in-between space. Yeah. And it's the same idea. You're treating them like a customer and you're kind of managing that scope of that request in a way that it's doable for you. And we're applying in this, we're applying the principle of improv. So the number one rule in improv is you can never say no, but you always have to say yes. And so we're saying yes. And our leader, yes. And yes. And I want to do this. Yes. And can you give me more, more resources? Yes. And let's prioritize this so we can, we can do it in a way that is, that is possible and feasible. All right. So now how about if you're the one who's managing the team and you are either worried that maybe you've created too much urgency or you want to ask your people, you know, how are you all doing with all of this? Am I overwhelming you with with my deadlines? Yes. Okay. So now we're going, we're going to go back to our trust formula. Now we enter into a different side of the equation. 
Okay, so we are the manager. We already have a certain level of credibility. It's important that as a manager, and uh, you start off with some level of vulnerability or authenticity. So when Google did a study on all their high-performing teams, what they found was the highest-performing teams, they had psychological safety. And what created that psychological safety was the manager on those teams led with some level of vulnerability. Because when they, when they led with vulnerability, people felt safe enough to drop all their armor at the door. And then that resulted in them engaging better in meetings, asking for help, bringing new ideas, brainstorming, all that kind of good stuff that we want from our teams. But it starts with us leading with some level of, of vulnerability. So we got to make sure that we're creating an environment that feels psychologically safe. So we're asking for help from our teams. You know, we're, we're, we're stating, I don't know. We're stating, we're brainstorming ideas. So people feel comfortable enough to uh, push back on us if we're asking them to do something that's unrealistic. So I think, I think that's, that's an important piece is we create an environment where people can give us feedback the other way. Because that's the challenge. They may not want to be vulnerable. That's one of the tricks in all this is comfortability of with vulnerability. Because if we, do, if we feel okay being vulnerable, then we'll have that conversation. If we don't feel okay being vulnerable, then we're going to try and be perfectly perfect. And perfectly perfect will result in burnout. That is, there's only one destination for perfectly perfect. And it is burnout. That is, that is where we will land. So we have to create an environment where people feel comfortable pushing back on us. Now, one more, what will be helpful is, um, I'll tell you a quick story around something that a client of mine did on their own. And I thought, brilliant, I love that idea that will help in terms of you managing urgency. So uh, this was a client of mine. He owned a small software company, about 50 people. He was an anxious guy. I mean, we just went sitting down meeting with him for coffee. Like his hand would be shaking. He was so anxious and wound up. And so when he would go into the business, he would, he would just spew that anxiety all over the place. So everybody was wound up and anxious and he made everything urgent all the time. So one day I'm telling him about this hot sauce principle idea and I gave him a little bottle of hot sauce. I carry around those little bottles of Tabasco that you can get in like the, the hotel buffets back when we could go to buffets and you know, they're little tiny bottles. So I buy them in bulk and I hand them out to, to apply the principle. And he went out to this grocery store and he bought himself three bottles of hot sauce, large bottles, and he stuck them on his desk. One, two, three. And every time he gave out a project that was urgent, he handed the owner of the project a bottle of hot sauce. And they had to keep the bottle until the project was done. And the beautiful thing about that idea that he came up with was this. He only had three bottles he could hand out at a given time. So once they were gone, he couldn't make anything else urgent. So it became a forcing mechanism for him to not make more than three things urgent at a time. So that's another trick in this for you is, is not only creating the two-way conversation with your direct so they can, they can push back, but also monitor how many things you're making urgent at a time. Maybe you use some kind of forcing mechanism, like bottles of hot sauce on your desk. So you're, you're more aware of what you're really creating urgency on. Oh, that's such a great story and such a practical way to approach it, to give yourself a limit. So unfortunately, we're running out of time. So can you now tell us about a great manager that you work with and what made this person so fantastic? So the person that I think of immediately when I think of that is he was never my manager. I always wish he was. <laughs> he, uh, he's a retired lieutenant general from the Army's name is Ken Keene. And he's one of the most humble guys I've ever met in, in my entire life. You know, often when you think of generals, you think of these tough, you know, kind of, and just quiet, soft-spoken guy. And what I love about Ken is one of the things that he did in his career was he carried a little book around with him. 
uh, no matter what role he had as a, a officer all the way up to up to lieutenant general and he he would and whenever he met one of his new direct reports he would ask them questions about their life and he would he would write it in his book so he knew all these details about people's lives and he carried that around with him so he was always you know very conscious and aware of the people that he was uh, talking to and working with and i loved that just not only his care and attention and humility but just his discipline around that and he ended up becoming a famous army ranger and led the rangers and then went to the pentagon and and then and oversaw a lot of the haiti relief mission work so a guy i really really admire and i just i love just spending time with him whenever i whenever i get a chance oh beautiful and where can people learn more about you brandon and keep up with your work so the simplest way is they can Google the workplace therapist. That's my handle. I'm, I'm, I'm the only one. You go to the workplacetherapist.com and there's uh, blogs and articles and resources. And then I've got a podcast, the workplace therapist show, where I help managers have uh, healthier conversations and create better relationships at work. And of course, you can buy a copy of my book. I would love it if you did. It's called The Hot Sauce Principle, How to Live and Lead in a World Where Everything is Urgent All the Time. Amazon is probably the easiest way to get a copy. Either you can do it via Kindle or paperback. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I definitely learned some good things that I'm going to be applying immediately into my own work. Maybe. Thanks for having me. As a special bonus to members of the Modern Manager community, Brandon is providing access to his Happiness at Work Formula workbooks at 50% off. This workbook helps you clarify the three things you need to find true happiness at work, the right job, the right workplace culture, and the right boss. To get that discount, become a member of the Modern Manager community at themodernmanager.com slash join. And don't forget, if you work for a nonprofit or government agency, you get 20% off of any membership level. Members will also get 20% off of that course I mentioned, Managing My Personality Type. So many, many, many good reasons to join. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player, and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.